0: Uh, Good morning. Second service. Uh, I went to first service for the first time and I realized something. We all think we show up late, they show up even later. It's awesome. So when you're showing up late, be like, well, it's not as bad as first service did. Uh, Let me, as Alistair would say, add my welcome to the chorus of welcomes. Um, as Preston said, my name is Phil Pearson. Um, I've been attending St. Pete's now for about three years with my wife Deandra, and we moved from the land far to the east, the province known as Ontario. And when I had been there uh, in my early twenties, I had been a pastor, um, which is a bit of a horrifying statement statement to me. Not that I was a pastor; I loved being a pastor, uh, but that I have a period of my life known as my early twenties, and that I'm no longer in them. In the later half. <laughs> which is horrifying. Um, but I'm, I'm so excited to preach. I, my nerves have kind of shed off because I've gone through first service, um, but I'm still a little bit nervous, and hopefully I can work through that along the way. Uh, it's been about three and a half years since I've preached, and I forgot how difficult it is to put an idea in 25 minutes. I think I did it in first service, so we'll try to keep for that amount again. Um, when I used to preach, I would always say that I think of my sermons as a middle word. Never a last word, never the first word, but a middle word. And the reason I say that is that I hope as a community they are an invitation for conversation, that we continue the conversation about this passage throughout the rest of our week. Uh, So if you'd like to talk to me personally, email me, question um, or disagree with me, I welcome it. Um, But I hope more so that as a community we can continue these conversations. And, and like uh, I forgot to say, um, there will be parts where you may disagree or aren't sure what I meant or, I feel, or you feel like I left a little bit on the cutting room floor, and I probably did. So uh, feel free to come talk with me about those things. As a community, for the past several months, we've been exploring the Sermon on the Mount, a passage of Scripture in the book of Matthew in which Jesus goes up the side of the mountain and preaches to this community, this group of people that has been following him and seeking the kingdom of God. And I, I love the passage, the Sermon on the Mount, it's fantastic, but one of the things I like most about it is that the author Matthew is doing something sneaky in that he's, he's paralleling this moment to Moses going up the side of the mountain and giving the Ten Commandments. And the reason I think this is so important is that when Moses had gone up the side of the mountain and given the Ten Commandments, he was inviting people out of exile. They had just left Egypt and slavery, and they were going towards a new kingdom. And I believe in the same way that Jesus is inviting us out of our exiles and into a new kingdom. But before we dive into the text one more time, I just want to highlight something on mental health. Uh, as Chandler had said, we used the NIV for translation. I'm going to talk about why. But this verse often says anxiousness or worries. And I bring this up because in the past I've heard this passage used to bully and beat up on people that have mental health issues or anxiety disorders. And I want to invite you, if you do have a mental health issue, as I know many of us do in this community, to reach out to us. You can go to our website at stpf.ca/care to see the resources we have available. And if finances is the burden, is the issue, then please reach out to us because we don't want that to be a barrier for you. But even if you do or don't have an anxiety disorder, I hope that there's things that we can together learn from this passage. Um, And please know that Jesus always offers grace upon grace. So, with our minds primed towards an invitation out of exile, let's read the text one more time. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor is dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the fields, each day has enough troubles of its own. I used to have this fantasy that would bubble up in my mind again and again and again. And before I tell you the fantasy, and I'm sure you're probably nervous, let me give a little bit of context. My wife and I have been married for three years now, and we had dated for two years before that. And early, early in our dating life, um, I said I love you. And I can admit now that it was way too early, and at at the time that it was way too early to say I love you, but instead of recanting it, I just kept on saying it. And there was a a period of time, I'm not going to say how long, but long enough, before the moment she said I love you too, and I first said I love you. Uh, A dark period, you might say. (laughs) Um, And during this time, this fantasy would occur. And, and the reason it happened is we were dating long distance, and when we would date, um, she would be, like she would either stay at my house or I would stay at her house. And this is where the scenario would bubble up. I would kiss her goodnight uh, outside of her bedroom door, and I would say, I love you. And she would say, thanks. <laughs> or, or I appreciate you, or that means a lot, or something caring and kind and loving, just not words I wanted to hear, and what would happen is, her room was on one side of the house, my room was on the other, is about thirty-seven steps away, and I would kiss her. I'd say, "I love you," and then I would begin the walk from her bedroom to mine. And at around step fourteen, the fantasy would begin. I would hear the springs in the doorknob load as the doorknob slowly creaked open. And I would turn, mouth ajar, looking at the door as it would pour open, and light would fill out into the hallway, and Deandra, my love, would be running towards me. And then she would leap, like Baby from Dirty Dancing, and I, as Patrick Swayze would catch her high in the air. (laughs) The camera would zoom back, and she would say it. I love you, too. And at that moment, fireworks would launch out from our backyard, we would be cascaded in light, and I would bring her down, kiss her one more time, and then we would go off to our bedrooms and fall asleep because we were dating. (laughs) But I'm honest, I had this fantasy a lot, more than I would like to admit. But then what would happen is I would get to my room, and she never jumped into my arms. And I would lay in my bed, questioning. Why hasn't she said, I love you? What's going on? I would think through every single moment of the day, pulling it apart, analyzing it. Am I not lovable? Come on, what's going on? I would wrestle with it and then I'd I'd start panicking. Maybe she'll never love me. Maybe maybe this will be like my last relationship where I asked my girlfriend, do you love me? And she's like, no, I don't. And I was like, okay, well, you know, here we are. And that got dark and I'm sorry. But I would worry. I would would be agonizing. I'd pull myself apart. I'd be filled with anxiety about her not saying, I love you. And I bring this up because I actually want to talk about translation, which is probably not the way you thought I was going to go. We read the NIV, and the NIV translates the word merimaneo as worry. The ESV translates it as anxious, and the KJV translates it as thought. And I think that this word merimaneo is so interesting. One translator puts it this way. He says, merimaneo is an old Greek verb verb that is often used for worry or anxiety literally means to be divided or distracted. Another author, another translator said, it's to be pulled apart. And why I want you to think through that and why I talk about that anxiety I felt is it's active. It's a verb. It's something we're doing. And I want to differentiate it from the feeling of being anxious, just that fleeting moment to the to the verb of being anxious, to the verb of worrying. It's what we do to ourselves. Another uh, pastor friend of mine, he describes it as future tripping, living in unimagined or in unlived worlds in the future and having their emotions affect us here in our present moment. And what I believe Jesus is doing in this passage is inviting us into trust and out of our worries, our anxieties, our distractions. The feeling of being pulled apart where I think it is an exile, you could say. And so in order to talk about this, I want to ask the question, why do we worry? Why does Jesus not want us to worry about these things? And what does he want us to do instead? And in order to talk about that, we're going to talk about the feeling of being powerless in the passenger seat. We're going to wrestle with the word therefore. Explain why I think we should say y'all instead of you. And invite us to seek first the kingdom. So let's skip the opening words, therefore, and jump into the meat of this text, do not worry. Before you can answer that question, though, I want to ask, why do we feel worry so much? Because if you are like me, I would assume that, that worry is a fairly constant companion Whether it's worrying about paying the bills, a significant other saying not uh, not saying I love you, an upcoming test, a big interview, a paper we write about getting sick, did I leave the oven on, or a diagnosis from the doctor. I mean, I could list so many things and then I feel like we would all just sit here in a collective state of anxiousness and worry. But why do we worry about those things? What's going on at the root of it? I don't know about you, but I love driving. And I mean driving, not what we do here in Vancouver, the stop start to the four-way stops where you creep over to see if you're going to get T-boned. No, I mean real highway driving. I went back uh, to Ontario to visit my family, and I got to drive on the long country roads, go firmly over the speed limit, feel powerful behind the steering wheel. But I also got put in the passenger seat a number of times when my parents were driving. And I am mature enough to admit that my wife says that I am not a good backseat driver. I would say I'm a great backseat driver because I always know how fast you're going. And I know that that Ford Toyota, that's not a car, that a Toyota that's following us is too close. And often I will grab onto the side handle, digging my fingernails firmly into it you know that moment when a plane's landing and you think maybe I can help the pilot out if I grab so tightly on the seat in front of me and steer the plane where it's supposed to go? I feel powerless in the passenger seat. I feel out of control. And if I'm honest, I think this is why we worry. I love the way Kara Anderson, a columnist, puts it. She says, worry allows us to avoid admitting powerlessness over something. Since worry feels like we're doing something. The real root for the majority of our worries is that we feel like we don't have control in a situation. Worry is what we do to stop ourselves from feeling powerless. So look at that word. Jesus asks his audience, why do you worry about your body, about your clothes tomorrow, what you will eat or drink? And I think the crowd would say, Because we feel like we don't have control over our bodies. We don't know where our next meal is going to come from or if we will have anything to drink. We don't know if the empire will take the very clothes off our back. We don't feel in control in the situation. We feel powerless. Don't you get it, Jesus? We're under oppression from the Roman Empire. We are in exile. We feel like we're not powerful. And so we worry because we feel like it will give us a little bit of control. I think that's why we worry. And like I said, you can disagree with me, but I don't think that that's why Jesus doesn't want us to worry. In fact, he even nods to it. He says this, Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? He just outrightly says, You're powerless. Your worry is powerless. So why are you worrying? My wife, Deandra, has this interesting habit of starting a conversation in the middle and six hours later. We'll be eating dinner... And suddenly she'll say, so then we'll go get groceries. As though we've been having a conversation about what we wanted to do today, which we weren't. And what I realize is that she's been having a conversation back and forth with her, in her mind. And then she's invited me now to partake in the conversation with her. And if I had been there for the previous conversation, I would know that that's why we will then go get groceries. And I think this passage is the same. Remember, it starts with the word, Therefore. I read through this passage again and again and again, I just ran past that word. To me, it's just like, oh, it's the Bible. It says, therefore, for the beginning of things, but it doesn't. Because therefore is not how you start a statement. Therefore is how you end. Therefore means for this reason, because of this, then this. So what came before? Um, As Preston talked about last week, this passage ends with the words, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money, or mammon, as one of the translations puts it. Therefore, I tell you, this verse is not about the feeling of worry. It's not about being anxious about things. It's about worship and masters. It's about hearts and desires being misaligned. Jesus says, you have to pick who you want to serve. And if you want to serve me, you don't worry. Or maybe you can't worry, or maybe you don't need to worry. All the other stuff, all the basics, it's all distraction. And what happens is this passage becomes an incredible litmus test, a thermometer for us. Are you constantly worried about your basic needs? about tomorrow, about your body, your life, food, clothing, Wi-Fi, paying the rent, the way you look, what other people are saying about you, then what you may actually be doing is worshiping a different God. I once heard prayer and worship described as turning thought and heart towards God. And I think the inverse is true. When we turn our thought and heart away from God, it's worshiping and praying to something else, you could say. It's serving a different master. I think this is the reason why Jesus doesn't want us to worry so much. Because to worry is to worship. I love the way one author puts it. They say this, There are some kings who find it very effective to keep their subjects in constant anxiety. If the people are anxious about their life and worry about where their next meal is coming from, then perhaps they'll be more willing to do the king's bidding in order to get the food they need from the king's storehouses. Anxiety keeps them in place. Worry makes the monarchy firm. Jesus doesn't want us to worry about our basic needs, about our food, our clothing, our bodies, our life, and tomorrow. He doesn't want us to worship these false gods. He doesn't want us to make false monarchies firm. He's in the process of leading us out of our exiles. And in this situation, the exiles that we induce on ourselves... Jesus, like Moses, goes up the side of the mountain and invites people out of their slavery, out of Egypt, and into a new way of living. And remember, when Moses had originally gone up and given these Ten Commandments and began leading his people towards the Promised Land, they would cry out, We're hungry! We want to be fed! Weren't we fed in Egypt? And he would say, Yes, but you were slaves. You were slaves in Egypt and we're leading you towards freedom. This is what worries does. It enslaves us. And Jesus is seeking to invite us to a new kingdom. So what does Jesus want us to do instead of worry? The first thing Jesus does is he realigns our hearts and our imaginations. He reminds us that when we do encounter our worries, to look to God instead. And he reminds us by saying, God is good, better than the other false gods, and he wants to provide for you. Don't you know God loves you and wants to clothe you and feed you like the birds of the field, like the birds of the air and the flowers of the field? His first answer to how to stop worrying is go birding, walk through a field, and so he gives these beautiful, power nugget, powerful nuggets of wisdom, these promises and assurances. God loves you more than the birds, of the field, more than the birds of the air, and He wants to provide for you. He wants to clothe you. His, his solution is not worry, but trust. Trust on God's promises. Rely on his love and goodness and provisions. Meditate on the way God loves the world and how he loves you even more. I need to hear these promises. I need to remind myself of them daily in the midst of all my worries and anxieties and distractions and being pulled apart when I got caught up in daydreaming and future tripping. It won't actually happen. Instead, God pulls me into the present moment. Birds and fields and a God who loves us. I love that. Jesus Jesus doesn't want us to worry. He doesn't want us to worship false gods, gods that will never actually provide for us. He wants us to worry less and know that we are loved. But you might be saying to yourself, Phil, I don't buy it. Sure, I worry about things. Sure, sometimes my worry can lead me in the wrong direction. But are you telling me that if I lost my job, or I couldn't pay rent, or some tragedy occurred, that I simply shouldn't worry about it? That if someone I loved was diagnosed with cancer, I should pay no thought to it? That if I didn't have enough money to pay for clothes or food, that I should just walk through the woods? I feel like we can often end there and miss where Jesus is going. In the face of challenges like this, it can seem daunting to just hear the words, don't worry. So there's one last piece. What does Jesus want us to do instead? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I I believe Jesus wants us to reorient our hearts, to see God as king. And when you put God first, these other things will be provided for you. Now what I don't want you to hear is health and wealth. I don't want you to hear, be a good person and God will give you clothes and money and food because that's not what's being said. Instead, let's look back at the beginning of the passage one more time. Pass the word, therefore. I tell you. When we read the Bible today and we read Jesus' instructions, we usually get caught up focusing on ourselves. What is Jesus saying to me? But we forget. Jesus went up the side of a mountain And spoke to a crowd of people, a community that was seeking to follow into a new kingdom. Matthew, the author of the book, finds this so important that he writes it to a community of people throughout the Roman Empire. The whole book, the whole Bible itself is written to communities. I want to borrow the language from our neighbors to the south and say, therefore I tell y'all. It's plural. It's us. Do not... Get caught up in your worries or distractions. Us, he does not tell you to not worry about your body, your closure, of life. He tells us to not worry about these things. And could it be that when we seek his kingdom together, his kingdom of grace, mercy, patience, and love, a kingdom that's dedicated to dying to ourselves and seeking the needs of others, to carrying each other's burdens, meeting the needs of the poor, the lost, the lonely, a kingdom that is dedicated to the way of death and resurrection, could it be then that we will actually get a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven? I love what it says in the book of Acts in verse 4, verse 32 to 35, because I think we get a nugget of what Jesus is telling us to. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Need, the feeling of not being in control, the feeling of being powerless. Jesus wants us to not worry or be distracted or anxious. He wants to seek the kingdom of heaven. And maybe if we do it collectively as a community, as the people of God, could it be that he meets our needs through one another? Now, I am not trying to preach communism or socialism. I know it can land there. But I'm convinced that God, Jesus, is trying to realign our hearts with God at the center And when we treat God as king, then we treat these things, food, clothing, our lives, our bodies, tomorrow, radically different, and we offer them up to the kingdom. Could it be that our worries become opportunities? That the things that cause us as individuals to worry, the places where we feel powerless and unable to control, the times in which we would look to false gods or kings, instead become opportunities for us as a community to follow God, his kingdom, his righteousness, and his path. And that through that, he provides for us. So do you worry? Do you worry about food or clothing? About paying the bills or about the stresses of tomorrow. Do you feel needy? Open yourself up to the kingdom of God, to the community around you, knowing that God loves you and wants to provide for you, that God loves us and wants to provide for us. Are you someone that has excess, excess food, clothing, money, the ability to deal with stress? Open yourself up to the kingdom to the community around you, knowing that God loves us and wants to provide for us. I know that I've probably missed much. There's a gold mine to find in this text. I left so much on the cutting room floor, but I want to end with these words. May you know in the midst of your anxieties and worries, during the times that you feel you are being distracted to the point of being pulled apart in every direction, that God loves you and wants to provide for you. May you know that though we are prone to worship false gods and masters that are not Jesus, he is always inviting us back to him, out of our exiles, out of our kingdoms of anxiety and worry, and into the kingdom of heaven. And may you turn your worries and anxieties to opportunities, opportunities to be loved by God and to extend the loving, powerful kingdom of heaven all around you, so that together we can become the hands and feet of Jesus that provide for our world. Let's pray.